When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, a fun loosey goosey way to enter into our episode. <laughs> Talking about what a professional podcaster I am. <laughs> I'm the Sonny Crockett of Miami Nice, which is one of us say, has one of us has to be. One of us has to be. You're the tubs. I'm the Crockett. I'm playing fast and loose. I'm taking a go fast boat with a mm. hot girl. Mm. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> No pressure than whole riddle me that. The rest of y'all know where I'm lurking. Yeah, can none of y'all mirror me back? Yeah, hear me rap. It's like hand G rapping is prime. I'm young HO, raps great for dead. Back to take over the globe. Now break bread. Welcome to Miami Nice. I'm Katie Walsh. I am here with my amazing co-host, Blake Howard. You know Pod- who we are. <laughs> Podcast impresarios, we are. Podcast impresario, and we're here with another podcast impresario. Very excited about our guest. He is one half of the podcast, Watching Movies at the Bar, which is a super fun podcast. Has great guests. And I'm only saying that because I was a guest. (laughs) Uh, But no, the guest lineup is insane. And uh, it's just a super fun podcast. So if you want to hear me talk about Tom Cruise and Top Gun, like very emphatically, you should listen to that episode. But there are so many good episodes. The Swingers episode is so good. The Batman and Robin episode is so good. Mm. Anyway, please welcome Thomas Grabinski. Thank Yay. you so much. That's I think that's more of an introduction than I ever expected to have in my life. So I'm <laughs> I'm reeling, but I, I plan to get it together so we can talk about this incredible movie. Yes. Well, I had to shout out uh, watching movies at the bar because it's a super fun podcast and I think people would really enjoy it. And one thing I love about the podcast is that I think just like the conceit of it leads to people talking about movies that aren't normally talked about on like the podcast rotation. So I super appreciate the way that it kind of feels fresh in that way. Cause it's like totally different movies. And it's also the lens of like, would you talk about this at a bar or what would it be like to watch this movie at a bar? So I yeah, enjoyed and it. Thank you. And, and the parameters of the show are really loose. I think it accommodates pretty much anything, but I found that a lot of my favorite podcasts would be shows that I would listen to after like a shitty day at work or when I was really tired and didn't feel like going out, but wanted the experience of sitting in a bar booth with friends, absorbing the conversation without participating. And so that's what we hope to cultivate. For sure. It's just like ambient. And that's kind of what we do here too. We just sort of chit chat about this one specific movie (laughs) (laughs) we just use this as like a little campfire to gather around to to just get together to talk to some fun people such as yourself thomas but it's just i feel like that's a good that's a good mood to be in because you're never actually and this is what i miss right now in sydney lockdown it's so rare that you stay talking about the movie that you've even just seen at a movie theater with your friends you then go back and you're like all right let's i've had some thoughts about top gun and and then, and then it's like an hour of bullshit on Top Gun because you're like, yeah, that new movie came out and it was fine. Um, but I really want to talk about Batman and Robin because the other day I watched it, and so I like I like that I like that a lot. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good hang. Yeah, Definitely I feel like hang. any anything we have to say about Miami Vice will naturally dovetail back into Joel Schumacher and Batman and Robin. (laughs) That's what this episode is going to be. Look, the same bisexual lighting. Apparently everyone is just going back. Everyone keeps telling me about bisexual lighting, bisexual lighting and basic instinct. And I'm like, do you, I, you heard of like the perverse, perverse misogynistic gaze of Paul Verhoeven? Yeah, I'm not sure about bisexual lighting being something that you're going to argue with me as, uh, as, as, as what he was intending in some of these particular scenes, especially when Michael Douglas is basically uh, assaulting uh, Sharon Stone on the dance floor while the bisexual, <laughs> alleged bisexual lighting is happening right there. Wait, can someone explain? I, I know bisexual lighting, it's sort of like the pink and blue lighting, yeah, but is yeah. that all the the 
referenced <laughs> bisexuality that, or is there that, something deeper going I on? I think, I mean, Thomas, you might be able to help me, but I, I feel like it's like, that is like the signifier of like, you know, this kind of like, I don't know whether it's like this bisexual like uh inference in the oh. lighting and 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 those and those two things clashing together but it seems that now people are like prescribing it to past movies like that was the intent of the directors both implicit or explicit and i'm like no hmm. some movies yeah. it doesn't work you know i mean not always <laughs> oh yeah it's incredible <laughs> i would say that's a, i would say that movie is outright calf but i <laughs> Blake, I'm not always compelled by the film discourse online. I don't always find it to be compelling. So I, for me, the jury is also out on bisexual lighting and its yeah. many applications. But I, yes, in Batman and Robin, 100%. Yeah, 100% in that. But I saw someone <laughs> arguing for it in Basic Instinct and I was like, no. Yeah, <laughs> just, that's... A, just, no, just yeah. like, I, I think your, your, your theory You're is... You're going just, a little too far. <laughs> it does not stand. It does not stand up right now. Um, oh, I meant to say in your intro, Thomas, that you are a film Twitter scamp. You bring <laughs> scamp energy. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about how I'm a scamp oh, on film Twitter. I, I mean, I just, I think you have like a mischievous energy, and you sort of <laughs> like to sort of like clown on the the heavy duty discourse in a way that I find entertaining and and fun and funny. Yeah, and I the mean, memes I, of the day. <laughs> I, I guess I try not to meme too much, but I no, no, I no. do think a lot of times it feels like the movies themselves are secondary to the discourse, and the discourse is just so far removed from the things that I want to be talking about that I just feel like we're so stuck in the weeds. But um, probably a little mischievous. I think Twitter is the dumbest that I will ever be. I think it's a platform <laughs> that uh, really lends itself to idiocy. And so there is like a very narrow sliver of my brain that thrives in that space. Indeed, indeed. It's like, if you're getting too serious on Twitter, like something has gone awry. Yeah. I, and, and also when people try and have real conversations on Twitter is something that I'm constantly perplexed about. I'm just like, no. This is not, this is not the time. This is not the space. And also how people hijack conversations. I love, firstly, I love Twitter scamp. Katie gave me the podcast <laughs> impresario thing. Twitter scamp is just the best thing ever. And you must immediately change all of your bios to include Twitter scamp. Katie, this means a lot to me. This is free branding. I didn't have to consult. I, mean, I try to give a little something, oh, a little nugget every time. It's fucking gold, Katie. It's, it's solid gold. Um, but, but, um, this like, uh, like my, my friend, I mean, I'm sure Katie gets it too. And I see it all the time, but like a friend of ours, Jen Johans is a great, like a beacon of light in film Twitter, a really great voice, has a great podcast watch with Jen. She's wonderful. And the other day she was talking about something on Twitter and someone hijacked her like, oh, like I wish more movies had color. Like, you know, it was really vibrant with color talking about a specific, you know, movie and someone hijacked it to be like, yeah, isn't it great how Marvel movies by James Gunn have so much color? And she's like, please, uh. and she's like, don't fucking hijack my, my Twitter, like my Twitter thing about a film that is not a Marvel movie to go and like, like gush to a Marvel film director about how cool and colorful you think that is. Oh God, like, yeah. It's so gross. I was like- No tagging, yeah, no tagging. That, yeah, that's, that, that's exactly right. So yeah, exactly. Like you said, that sliver of idiocy is just really special on Twitter as yeah. well. But, I, you, but I, It's a sweet spot. But I must admit, I also, I, I have a, a, a much less dumb list of people that I follow. I really follow quite good people. And I feel like my world is like this little fun world that we've curated full of Michael Mann weirdos and, um, <laughs> and, and Zodiac obsessives and increment and inc inherent vice lunatics. Um, uh, I feel, and, and obviously heat nuts, um, in all shapes and heat sizes, nuts. heat nuts <laughs> in, in, all, in, all in all shapes and sizes. I, I feel like I'm, I've, I've got like a nice corner love Twitter, especially a film Twitter. I don't, I don't get caught up too much in the absolute nonsense. I find. Yeah. Michael Mann Twitter has really thrived in the past, like several years. Oh, yeah. We've, we, it's, it's going well, but the, you know, the black, <laughs> the, the black hat rebellion is just, it's, we need to squash it instantly. It needs to be squashed. Thomas is shocked. Here we go. Can I, no, can I actually make an admission at the outset here? That's going to contradict a point I may make later, but I, I think 
you will love Miami Vice more if you've seen and appreciated everything else that Michael Mann has done. But I, I say that as someone who hasn't seen Black Hat. Yes. I'm really, I'm really vexed by the discourse. I sometimes people talk about it in a way that sounds like they appreciate it ironically, and that kind of alienates me because I, I don't want to go into it knowing that oh no, maybe this is just a late career miss for Michael Mann. But also, then the people who love it want me to hunt down a director's cut that doesn't really exist. Doesn't exist. That aired on FX like one time. Yeah, like, I, I, just, I just don't get it. That movie I'll send to you me the is file. just this weird. I'll okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but no, but I, I got sent the file because I was like, Blackout's fine, guys. You know, we all, all of our favorite directors make movies that are just okay at the very least. And I can, I feel like I have a little a modicum more of entitlement to say this, but Chris Hemsworth is one of the most charming Australian actors that has ever walked the face of the earth. And the accent that he does in Blackout is like... It, it's it's worse torture than Mads Mikkelsen whipping Daniel Craig in the dick with rope. <laughs> it's worse than that. His, his accents. Oh, I this. You know, this is one of my. I, favorite I would be topics. like, I'd be like, scratch to the left, like rather than listen to one more second of his accent in Black Hat. And then, so what happened was, Thomas is. I'm like, it's fine, guys. Just relax, okay? It's it's, yeah. it's he's like, he can make a, a a bad or just okay movie. It's fine. And then someone's like, uh, Blake, I've actually got the, actually, I've got the director's cut for you if you want it. I'm like, all right, I'll check it out. And I watched it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it's better, but it's not. I mean, still just it, okay. It doesn't, it couldn't hold the dirty laundry of even any of the other movies. I couldn't hold Collateral's dirty laundry. You know what I mean? And I think Collateral's like a good and to great movie. Again, there's a chunk of other Michael Mann stuff like the Miami Vices of the world and the heats of the world and the insiders of the world that are all above that in my personal rankings. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just fine. Directors are allowed to make okay movies, guys. Where do you guys, uh, so, so I've listened to a few episodes of Miami Nice and I've heard you talk uh, about your black hat skepticism, but not about public enemies. I've had a really weird journey. I'll, I'll let Katie jump in a second. I've had a weird journey with Public Enemies. The first time I watched it, I wasn't such a fan. I've gone back to it a, a number of times. Um, the great, a great friend of the show and a, and, and a friend of mine, Niles Schwartz, who's a, um, a, a film critic uh, uh, in Minnesota, wrote a, a terrific kind of, uh, I think you could call it broadly a monograph called Off the Map. Um, freedom control in the future in Michael Mann's public enemies. It's like a little book, sort of like a long form critical uh, reappraisal of it. And he just talks about it as this giant allegory for like uh, the evolution of cinema, you know, digital versus uh, 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 digital versus like a traditional film. And just like talking about the textures and how it's this huge conflict and the conflict sort of plays out in the movie allegorically, but like he, he, he just talks about that. And I've since then gone back and really like, really really enjoy public enemies without like loving wow. it but, but like really enjoy that conflict as it's playing out because it is really that mashing of what you would consider to be i want all these warm beautiful old time you know 1930s gangster tones but the whole movie is just done with such you know scalpel digital precision that it feels like it's just it grates on you the whole time, but I think that that conflict is intentional. So I have a really good time with it now. It's not my, certainly not my favorite. It's probably in the the second half, but I definitely after reading Niles' book, I was like, and just as a bit of a a bit of a tone poem of a thing, I'm like, yeah, I, I get it, I get it. But um, but I also have heard some fun stories about um, how uh, there's a, there's a rumored story that Michael Mann um, basically in the middle of Johnny Depp performance at one point uh turned over uh and just said you can't act i figured it out you can't act <laughs> and um and so i i don't know if that is completely bs apocryphal tale but i've come to kind of like go i every time i watch it i just hear at some points in the performance that i don't think quite land to perfection i hear that voice in my head go oh i get it you can't act oh my and, god uh, and uh so yeah it's just uh it's one of those beautiful things where i'm like there's a there's a it's a funny it's a funny concoction of a movie but i do think it's um you know stephen lang is amazing marianne cotillard is amazing i think christian bale is absolutely terrific a lot of those little actors that are in even channing tatum getting run down in the beginning of the movie is awesome you know like everyone kind of has these awesome moments in it i just don't know if the depth performance completely works for me but i love all those other guys in that movie 
I have to admit, I have not seen Public Enemies. I remember it was like so critically reviled when it came out that I was like, I don't need to see this. It's apparently terrible. And I just haven't caught up with it yet. Um, But I could not get on the the black hat wavelength. I really Mm. tried, but I just couldn't like ride with that one. (laughs) I mean, maybe I should watch the director's cut or uh, try something else. But yeah, it didn't didn't quite work for me. But I think that's why I appreciate Miami Vice in a way I I've I I think you on rewatch you 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 start getting it more and more. And so maybe that will happen with those other films. But uh, I don't know. It hasn't happened yet. Thomas, where are you? Where are you on Public Enemies? Public Enemies, I haven't seen since it came out in theaters, and it mm. also well predated my love for Michael Mann. I had only seen Collateral at that point, which is a movie that I really liked, but I had not yet done the deep dive. Um, so I remember thinking very little of it, and I've wanted to revisit it since I've become something of a manhead, but I'm a little wary. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think if you just manage your expectations, that it's probably not top tier, man. But it's got some really great. Like I, I think under. When you look at a great director too, and this is just Michael Mann's kind of vision as a filmmaker and his compositions, there are so many amazing compositions now that people at the time were so railing against because there was that tension between digital and, and, and traditional sort of film photography that I think now when you look back on it, because we're so like our whole film language is now translated into this digital photography, it's like, oh man, he actually still shoots in such a dynamic cinematic way using digital photography more people should actually take notes and go how the hell did they do that like how do they do those compositions because there's these amazing shots of like these stark um katie i think you would like this is like stark um concrete prison walls and like Mm. a guy standing there in a long coat shooting a tommy gun and this like incredible blue sky like luminescent Mm. blue sky above it and like someone firing into like a gun tower with the guards and stuff like that it's just like cool shots like that where you're like they just hang around in your memory for a long time of like oh this michael mann knows how to shoot the living shit out of everything so even if you're not quite engaging the that whole cinematic that whole sphere of cinematic experience is just he's still got it on a string yeah so thomas you said that you have become a manhead Yes. And I feel like I maybe saw on Twitter or Letterboxd or something that like your brother, Ben David, who was also on our podcast, mm. was like urging you to watch Miami Vice. Yes, that is that is true. Um, I have, I guess in the same way that I'm a scamp on Twitter, I think there's also <laughs> a, a very juvenile part of my personality, which is that I don't like to be told to do things. And I often have (laughs) bad experiences when I'm told to do things. And obviously there is a time and a place for everything. But I think most times in my life, I've been told to watch a movie or been sat down like you have to watch this right now. That's just not the way I like to watch things. And so um, I learned my lesson watching Heat for the first time under duress. And I didn't (laughs) have a good time because I wasn't in the mood to sit down for three hours and watch this thing. I didn't really have context for who Michael Mann was. And so anyway, when people told me to watch Miami Vice, I was like, I will get there. I want to do my homework. I want to watch everything and then I'll get around to it. But Ben David's been a manhead forever. And so I was super reluctant. But by the time I got over the line, I'm just, I'm fucking obsessed now. Like Manhunter is one of my favorite movies. The, the movies I watched the most during the last year were Last of the Mohicans, Manhunter, and Miami Vice. I watched Manhunter maybe five times. I watched Mohicans maybe three times. Um, but but I'm, I'm not someone who watches a movie more than once a year. Like, I need a little bit of a recharge time, but this shit just compels me to return. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your experience with Manhunter. Yeah, I think I fell for Manhunter partly because my expectations were kind of adjusted against it. I think Manhunter is a movie that is kind of lost um, to the canon for most people because they think of Silence of the Lambs as being the definitive Thomas Harris adaptation and so they just don't fuck with Manhunter. They think like, oh, you know, Manhunter was good, but Silence of the Lambs got it better. And I think I bought into whatever that kind of nebulous consensus was. And when I finally came around to it, I was like, I love Silence of the Lambs, but I might like Manhunter more. I like I like the way Michael Mann makes movies look. I like the way he makes movies feel. I love his needle drops. I think he has an incredible sense of music, but I also just, 
there's something about, I like movies that are macabre and movies that are spooky. And, and that is like one of the most electric macabre movies I've ever seen. And just the, the consummate professionalism by, of Michael Mann is very appealing to me. I just, I don't think there's a movie like it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a special one, Katie. Where's Manhunter? Because we haven't talked as much about Manhunter on my. I know, I love it. I haven't seen it in a really long time. I really need to revisit it, but it's awesome. And I also was gonna say, like, I think you were saying sometimes it gets underrated with Silence of the Lambs. I think for me, before I saw To Live and Die in L.A., I kept conflating those two movies in my head, the two like William Peterson movies, because they came out in 85 and 86 and I was just like wait like before I saw both of them I was just like oh wait the William Peterson movies but yeah I I need to revisit it because it's been a while for me but I I love it all of those like early ones are, are great but I have I have a couple holes in my early Michael Mann filmography too that I need to fill in so yeah I mean you I gotta get to catch up we've got one cute yeah. minute following Miami Nights, so you better hurry up with that. oh do you <laughs> no I'm just kidding oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding because I actually have not seen the keep and I was like putting it on my I was putting it on my mental list the other day I was like shout out shout out to Meg Shields who wants me to do one keep minute and maybe she <laughs> should actually be the host of the keep because she Meg Shields is uh, uh the great the great writer uh at film school reject she and and also a twitter scamp um uh <laughs> Uh, funnily enough, oh, hell yeah. I, should follow, I should follow her. <laughs> she's she's great. Um, I think she's the worst nun on Twitter. Um, but uh, she she talks about she thinks the keep is like uh, the video from The Ring, where like, <laughs> like, like, where, like, like she's like, if you watch that movie on high definition, it's not the same. You need to like watch it on a shitty old video that you find that's unlabeled, and then at the end of it, you'll die in seven days. And I'm just like, that's that's like. I think that's a good professorial thing that maybe we should do. Just get more VHS tapes blank with the keep on it and just, oh, like just put it, stash hide it in them in houses. some woods. <laughs> Wait, so, I, I agree with that. Sorry, because the only version of the keep you can find legitimately is a very shitty scan. But have either of you seen the like bootleg 4K 30, scan? The 35 mil scan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It looks, have, it looks incredible. Yeah, I've seen it. It does look incredible. So I had some... I had some anxiety coming into this today talking about Miami Vice because the only way I've ever talked about Miami Vice is to be like, oh, hell yeah, dude, that movie fucking rocks, which captures kind of the range of my emotion that's, on the movie. That's kind of what we do. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. <laughs> but I feel similarly about Last of the Mohicans. I think it it works so well on a gut level. And I think, you know, on some level that's insulting to how all of the gorgeous compositions of the movie and how, how well choreographed the action is and, and the huge scenes um with extras but like it's maybe the best score of any movie ever it's one of the most romantic movies i've ever seen also seeing daniel day lewis just fucking run and leap through the woods doing all of this action <laughs> like all of that just the component parts of last of the mohicans are so incredible but michael mann weaves them together so perfectly and i saw miami vice for the first time 18 months ago so it's it's pretty recent and I've yeah. watched it a few times since. But I, I had been told to watch Miami Vice forever. Um, but my friends who are big manheads always issued the caveat that were like, it's man's most man movie, but you don't want to watch it until you've seen the rest of his stuff. And I, I tend to agree with that. Again, I haven't seen Black Hat, but you you get my meaning. Uh yeah, the first time I watched it, it was great. I basically what I did was I sat down and decided I needed to plug every gap in man's filmography, every movie I hadn't seen, and it was going to culminate in Miami Vice. It was a project. It was something I was really excited about. It did not let me down. I knew about the <laughs> mojitos. I had a mojito ready for me, and I sat down, and the movie just knocked me down. And the first time I watched it, I couldn't totally make sense of it because there's an element that's like, a little bit campy and like a little bit elevated, but the fact that it's so soulful and dark and the fact that all of the sort of dick swinging and machismo you would expect from a cop movie is, is undercut by sadness at every turn, it was just not the movie I thought I was walking into. And because there are all of these sort of competing ideas and this real darkness at odds with very funny one-liners, I understand why it's a divisive movie and why not everyone is a Miami Vice head, but I do think we can get everyone over the line. I do think everyone is capable of loving this movie in the way that we do. That's interesting because I also, the first time I saw it, I also was like, this is pretty campy in the sense that I was like, kind of laughing at some of the lines and moments and sort of, and I was like, 
not quite taking it seriously. And the more we do this podcast, the more I'm like, this movie is a tragedy and it's so <laughs> sad. And it's so, it's all about the doomed romance and, and you know, the, the Sonny's inability to like achieve, uh, you know, true happiness and, and love with a partner and, and like, uh, kind of what, um, Brandon Stroising was saying, which was like, uh, he's just this like, what was he saying? Like something about how it's like, he's, he's the ultimate man protagonist in, yeah, in a just... way that like the, the island, the, the, the tropical island functions for all of these man protagonists is like the heaven and he kind of touches it, but he can't stay there uh, forever. And, and so it's like, he's the, the one that kind of, you know, gets as close as possible, but, but he can't be there. And so, yeah, it's interesting how you kind of have, uh, very different reactions or at least I have had different reactions to the movie I mean like we talk about this all the time but just like the opening of the theatrical cut being like so ridiculous and you're like what am I getting myself into but <laughs> yeah. it's great we love it we love the blend of of tones that this movie achieves and also yeah I mean I just like talk myself into um seeing all these new colors and and textures and I think that's why we've been able to do so many episodes of this podcast yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, Katie. I'm actually like kind of a buzzkill about this movie in <laughs> insofar as I, I love it, but I won't, if I can help it, I won't allow someone to have an iron. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply experience with this movie mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I do think there is such a darkness and such an emotional depth to it even if it's like I don't know like a sexy hyper stylish movie I, I I'm with you I think it's a tragedy and I, and I don't think this is a movie to be appreciated ironically I think it's a movie to be appreciated in earnest the psychology behind it and the way that the movies and the the, the repeating themes and the um continually revisiting these ideas I think is like why people get so into man and like and also what you were saying uh, a little bit before Thomas like I also just love the way Michael Mann movies feel and like there's just an effortlessness to them and I think there's an effortlessness to Mohicans where you just like swept away in this amazing story romance and like crazy action adventure and it's just like I don't know you see enough movies where it feels effortful that you appreciate <laughs> yeah. the effortlessness that that man brings to just like the propulsive momentum that these movies have and i i that's what that's what i am like so addicted to when i'm like watching his film so and miami vice is like that too it's like you cannot get off this ride you're just going and going and going and like sunny can't get off the ride totally i uh the, the effortlessness you're talking about is really interesting because I think with Miami Vice, it does feel kind of effortless. And I think if you're not invested in Michael Mann's filmography and you're not approaching the film charitably, some of it might feel a little bit haphazard, but, but right. to me, yes, it's such a totally. cohesive tapestry. Right. There's a, we all, we, we've talked about this a little bit, like there, there's like chaos around the edges. And so even if he's as prepared and as uh, professional as a filmmaker, as he is, there's still, all the wild stuff that's going on behind the scenes. There's chaos at the edges and there's chaos in the middle of the frame right. with Colin Farrell. Like that's right, the, exactly. the beautiful mess of this movie is that right. at the end but of the that, day. But that tension of like yeah. the craft and then also the chaos like meeting is like why it's like kind of compelling, uh, as compelling as it is. I, I know obviously this is well-trod territory, but because you're mentioning the chaos of Colin Farrell's performance, I want to talk about it. Yes. I think it's like, you know, it's the most obvious element of the movie, but like, he's fucking incredible. And yes. in re-watching re for this recording, I was like, I don't need to convince anyone else that this is true, but for me, this is one of the all-time great performances. And, and I don't, 
I, I, I don't want to romanticize the use of sort of hard drugs and substances as a means to iconic performance, but the fact that he was basically blacked out for run of show <laughs> gives him this like dark, invincible quality that that kind of reminds me of Tom Cruise. It's like there's no second guessing, there's no self-doubt. He just delivers all of these goofy lines with conviction like you've never seen. And, and in the same way that I think Scientology makes Tom Cruise fearless and makes him do crazy <laughs> shit and makes him jump off the buildings. It's like for all intents and purposes, he's a maniac, but I love watching him do things because he's not afraid. And Colin Farrell, because there is a part of him that is so distant, he's just utterly fearless and it makes for a totally singular performance. South Florida, they're big by it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. We want to go beyond rule number two. Why are we going exploring? Who's the we? The only thing you've contributed so far to this is bad intel. How's that? Jose Yero, cocaine producer. Yero's middle management, part of a bigger transnational operation run by Archangel de Jesus Montoya. Montoya is the new news, globalized. Moving. Colombian Coke NH, arms from the Ukraine. E from Holland, pirated software from China into Brazil. What's this gonna do with the price of tea in China? We're seeing the ops. Transpo. You know, money laundering networks. It, it, it would take years to put together a deal like this. We want to stay under. Run in load number two and keep going. And hold off busting. The ABs or you. We illuminate Montoya's operations from the inside. No one has ever tread before where we are now. No, the answer is no. We take the Aryan brothers. The shooters pressure them for the leak. It's a bird in the hand. Now, I'm not changing my op plan for speculation masquerading as intel. Look, I know undercover requires aggression, some outlaw attitude. Now, how else do you lie down with dogs? Go okay, fuck yourself. Fuck you know what this prick's game is? Mm -hmm. Get his picture in the Miami Herald of a quick bust. Save his punk-ass career at the slug farm in D.C. We are not backing off this. That's it. Where are you on this? 100% with Sonny. Change the mission statement. I'll have to run and pass my ADO in DC. Hey, Slick. Don't try and shine me on. You don't have the time or the skill. If I close this down, I will close it down right now. Then you can sink in Washington. All right, do it. You fucking better be right. So what's going on? As in? As in, there's undercover, and then there is which way is up. Well, you think I'm in so deep, I forgot? I will never doubt you. It's scary because, you know, Michael Mann talks about it. Uh, like, one acting performance that I, I, I really relish of his is the Will Smith performance in Ali. And he's like, we trained Will for 11 months, dialogue coaches, boxing training, fitness training. It was 11 months of like immersive preparation. And towards the end of the performance, Will Smith's only talking to his family as Ali, you know, all that crazy stuff that, you know, Im you know, basically imposing method on people, but like for an immersive period of time. And um, I just think that they do all of that so that it is effortless on screen. And I still think that for some people who do go to all those lengths, they still have this awareness. Like it's almost like when you watch a hilarious comedy, and I actually love this in comedies where you see someone just about to break, like they're going to yes, yes. bust in a comedy and you're like, oh my God, they're going to bust. This is so funny. Like it just makes that each line that they keep their face straight. It's just that little bit funnier. But with Colin Farrell, he's gone. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. There's no other, per like that's not Colin Farrell. Like that's what's, insane there's not Colin yeah, Farrell yeah, yeah. anymore it's sunny and how he's able to be actually be this is like the true like attic trans transcendence like 
there's a lucid human being there, like high functioning, lucid human being who can remember lines and shit, but it doesn't, all of the artifice is just gone. And so yeah, 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 ha- yeah. Be- being able to harness that, it's cr- like, it's crazy. Like I don't, like that, that, that transition from looking out the window to then aggressively attacking Nicholas in the apartment. I think about that transition a lot of like this wistful, longing, tragic hero, and then straight to aggression. And I'm like, there is no, he can just, he's just got it on a string. Like he's, he's, he's completely how he goes from those moods and tones. It's so organic. It's crazy. Like it just shocks me. Whereas like where Jamie Foxx can speak quickly, like Ricardo and says that like really rhythmic line and claps his hands. You're like, oh, Jamie Foxx is killing it right now. Like he's, he's just, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. You, you have a completely different view. You're like, oh, he's awesome. Oh, look at, you know, look at Dominic Lombardersi. Go Herc. You know, I love seeing Herc in Miami, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's like, it's, it, you see these people, but with Colin, it's, he's, off oh the yeah. He's off I the love that Tom is like, you say he's like, there's no self doubt. And there's like, like, he's just going, it's like super, it's just instinct <laughs> and like primal and it is a lot like Tom Cruise, which is like a great comparison, great comparison. Which is like go move like it. And, and he's just acting on instinct in a way. And I, I think, uh, it just creates for this, like absolutely magnetic performance where he's like, yeah, he's gone. He, he's gone. <laughs> Colin is gone. He is out to lunch, but he's fantastic. It's like when you're really drunk and you're like, I'm a great dancer and you know, and he goes, <laughs> Katie, stop, stop telling stories to the guests and to the no, people listening time, about me being drunk and dancing. <laughs> one time I was oh, um, really drunk at a gay bar and I was voguing. Like, this guy came up to me and was like, are you that girl from YouTube? And I was like, no. He, just, he didn't say hola chica. <laughs> but like, he like thought I was like a vogue a voguer from YouTube, and I was like, "No, I'm just drunk enough to like not care I what care. I look like." I actually don't. There is no care. I have no inhibitions. Right, but whatsoever. like it's like that confidence. It's like you have to hit that sweet spot of just like I am drunk enough that I'm like so confident, but I can also like I also have a weird superpower of like voguing right now. Like, how did that happen? You know what? It's like Tom- his salsa, his salsa dancing, even though Tom- he trained for three months. Thomas has unlocked it for me. It's like that recent <laughs> that recent meme that's been going around where people run up the crates, and they usually oh, and yeah. they usually just wipe out in the worst possible way. But Colin Farrell's like the guy who's had twenty beers and then yeah. just. And just dances up there like he's a ballet dancer. Like he's that that kind of like balletic, like just trots over and just nails it. And all of his friends are standing around going, he didn't die? Like what? Like how did right. that even happen? And he's like, no, this is me. But yeah. all the while he thinks that he's on a brick and mortar stairwell, right? Like that's <laughs> yes. that's the thing. Yes. And, and I, 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 Katie, I love your characterization. And, and Blake, you said something about how because he's absent, there's there's no room for that self-doubt. And a thing that I think a lot about in performances that really bug me, I agree with you in comedy, it's fun when you can kind of see that gap between actor and character, but in a movie like this, if there was any sort of winking when he yeah. says, I'm a fiend for mojitos or hey, darling, like you would, you would be lost immediately. You would not be interested in that performance. But there is no Colin Farrell there to be like, is this weird? He's just, yeah. he's just fucking doing it. Yeah. And uh, God, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That, the fact that he is dead serious about all those cheesy Crockett lines, like makes it work. Like no one, like imagine Ryan Reynolds <laughs> yeah, saying, no. you got your tan in Miami <laughs> or like, it's, or it's, any of that. I would crawl at my Van Wilder Miami Vice is not the movie I want to see because that's basically what it would be. It would just say it would be the worst. But even like Barry Shabaka Hanley does it too. Like, hey, hey, don't you try and shine me on. And you're like, yeah. oh, like he just get Barry Shabaka <laughs> Hanley gets it too. He's like, you just got to, we are just all going for it and we yeah. cannot hesitate in any way, shape, or form. Otherwise, it's it's all over. It's all over. I even love when 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 uh Tub says. Let's take it to the limit one more one time. More time. <laughs> it's just, and it's like, oh my God, this is kind of corny, but like, I'm kind of loving it and yeah, I'm but, all in and I do want to take it to the limit one more time. I will do that, Jamie Foxx. I mean, Tubbs. I want to ask you, sorry, from a consultant, from a consultant perspective, and uh, I think you can j- tag in on this. It's like, you're working with scripts. 
there must be an art to your reading to go when you're looking at a script and you're sort of advising on it to, to talk to a filmmaker about the degree of difficulty of like, all of these lines can work, right? All of these lines can work. And on paper, I, I, I'm, I'm reading them and I feel where the traps might be, yeah. but you're right. But the degree of difficulty, if you're reading that script going, shit, every one of these lines could either be a car crash or it could be the most awesome thing anyone has ever put on a cinema screen. Like, like it's, there's only those two things I find with Miami Vice so much of the time. It's like car crash, like literally wipe out worst possible scenario. Um, like we said, with sort of the Van Walder of it all, like winky winky. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or awesome, like completely, tonally awesome. And I think that that, man, what a hard knife's edge to, to navigate now thinking about it in just pure script terms on a piece of paper like god how did this even work yeah you know i don't know that if i read miami vice and didn't know it was going to be a michael mann film like if i read miami vice and it didn't have a cover page i don't know that i would be able to find a way into it and and yes. but that's why that's why I think sometimes when production companies and financiers are reading material in a vacuum before talking to the filmmaker, I understand that it's ultimately a bandwidth issue and you can't meet everyone. You can't hear everyone pitch on every piece of material, but I do think there are things that just don't quite make sense on paper without context, without that kind of filmmaker's prism. And I've worked with a lot of people who are very scared off by movies that ended up being very cool, but were just very peculiar and needed some sort of framing. Um, I don't know, I mean, it's not its not a hard science, it's all alchemical and you yeah. know, it helps if you've seen a movie made by the person who's gonna make the thing you're reading. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's like, tone and uh rhythm and you know just like the approach is I, I don't know I, I I think I so I'm thinking about this I, total tangent but like I think about I've been thinking about flatliners a lot because I'm mm. doing the screening of it and uh at the American Cinematheque soon and like to me it's like the script is kind of weird I mean it's a crazy concept but then you get the production design and you get Joel Schumacher and you get and like that to me is just such an example of like what a director brings to a script because otherwise in anybody else's hands it could be like totally weird but instead it's this like high camp kind of gothic <laughs> spiritual take on life and I, I don't know I just like every choice that is made in that movie it's like kind of makes it heightened and campy in a way that that that's not necessarily funny but that is more interesting than what it would have been in anybody else's hands. Am um, I wrong? Or is the first line of that movie, uh, there's like a 20 second helicopter shot to Keeper Sutherland who like puts his sunglasses on and says, today is a great day to die. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like the best shit you've ever seen. And that, you, you just, you can't read that. You have right, to have someone explain that. to you how long that shot is and that the sun is setting and that he's holding the sunglasses just so. But, but right, I was like, just, there's a whole scene where, sorry to keep talking about flatliners, but there's a whole scene where it, just on paper, it's just Kiefer Sutherland and Kevin Bacon talking to each other. But then Kevin Bacon just climbs out of a window and you're like, why is he doing that? There's no reason for him to be exiting a building by climbing out a window, but he's just doing it. It's like, anyway, sorry to talk so much no, about no, flatliners, I was, but it's I was on gonna, my mind. I was gonna take us deeper in the Joel Schumacher is it, of it right. all is like, and go the Lost Boys. Oh, God, the, yes. the, the the tone of the Lost Boys yes. is so unique because everyone is in it. Like they're in the theme. It's unironic. It's, and you might watch it and like have a cackle at the saxophone guy. Like that's about <laughs> it. Right? And you might, if you're really into the Corys, you might like laugh at them, like sort of just basically maintaining their comedic right. persona. But the rest of the movie houses this like insanely vivid and really like like unironic yes, vampire story and it's, it, although it's very gothic and stylish and sexy and like punk rock and all those things that it is and, and like kind of like um you know flirtatious across the sexes and all those sorts of things and ambivalent 
it's awesome. Like it just like it, that yeah. tone is just so that's such a singularly tonal movie where you're like, it, I don't know how it works. Cause if you look at someone else's, someone could make, you could read that on paper and someone could make it ridiculously right. dark or ridiculously stupid. Right. And it just seems to completely find its tone. I was just, I don't know how you don't think those vampires are like the coolest ah. people on earth. I'm just like, every, even as any age I am, I'm like, Alex Winter, Kiefer Sutherland, the whole vampire crew. I'm like, I love these guys. They're so cool. That, that, like, I'm I, gonna, <laughs> it's like that meme. Like, I'm going to tell my kids this is Led Zeppelin. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just like, you just like put the vampires from the Lost Boys. Sorry, Thomas. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, I, I agree. I think the Lost Boys rules. But if you were to take that exact script in a parallel universe and produce it in 2020 and put it through the Netflix machine and they just oh. kind of make it look ugly and they give it to someone without a vision and it's just kind of an open directing assignment, that would be an utterly forgettable movie. No one would no one would see it. No one would remember it. Um, Right, and uh, they wouldn't know. make them feel anything. And like, I saw, I saw a tweet the other day that was like, you just like in terms of screenwriting, like think about the emotion, and then you think about the plot. It's like no one ever says like, oh, like, uh, well, that movie didn't make me feel anything, but I, but I, it didn't have any plot holes. Like, I mean, you can if you're feeling the right things, then you're not paying attention to the plot holes. You could have a thousand plot holes in the lost boys and i would still just be like oh i love alex winter's jacket like <laughs> i'm i'm gonna take this from like low and high up for a second and do the greatest like sorry clanging name drop that has been on this show are we ready no, i can't wait yeah, yeah, yeah okay i was talking to peter weir the other day <laughs> no 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 what the podcast for podcaster and commander i'm gonna put so many fucking clangs people have just heard a thousand <laughs> clangs right now um and i was taught i quickly mentioned how insanely rewatchable that master and commander is in preparation you know talking to him a little bit of that movie and he said it surprises me that you say that because it doesn't have a lot of plot because it's a very atmospheric we designed it with, as to be a very atmospheric, immersive movie that didn't necessarily rely on plot. And we didn't get to go into like a more lengthy conversation as I think we've done now about like that. Cause I think the whole, our whole conversation has worked into that like mood tone atmosphere thing, but that's, I think that he just kind of unintentionally nailed something of like so much of movies is about emotion and feeling and place yeah. and, 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 and those things can, they have such, uh, are, maybe there's kind of two kinds of people where you can like be that person who loves a procedural kind of NCIS, CSI kind of like, you know, criminal minds, law and order, like I need to have plot, 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 plot. And that's my little comfort. Whereas I think the three of us, you know, and a, a lot of the people who love these movies and a lot of the people who like Michael Mann movies, it is so much less about plot. The more that you immerse yourself in the text, it becomes about all the feelings and all the moods and all the tones of those things. And that intuitive alchemical level of viewing is so different to just plot, plot, plot. Cause I don't give a rats about plot. Like I'm not looking for an Easter egg about which Marvel superhero is going to be the next <laughs> thing. I don't care. Um, I, I care about, you know, the crazy transition to chakras, black light fantasy um uh, from nam encore at the beginning of miami vice <laughs> the, yeah. i care about that way more than i care about any of the plot like i care about how the music changes and shifts and how i feel like i'm in that club and how much i want the cold delight of a mojito hitting my lips you know like that's <laughs> uh, that's that i think that that's a really a really interesting way way of viewing like some people have thought about plot being why you revisit something because you like the intricacies Whereas I'm not like that at all. Yeah, I think the uh, the the plot of Miami Vice, like I think obviously man knows the plot, and but there are so many times I've watched it where I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Why? What? Like I mean, or the first couple of times where it's just like, wait, who's doing what? Okay, the loads. <laughs> but yeah, he kind of is just like he's he's making superior the the vibe and the feeling and the atmosphere and the character rather than 
the stuff with the Aryan Brotherhood and, and all that stuff. I mean, that that has to happen for everything else to feel the way it does, but um, it's not the most important part of the movie, at least for me. Yeah, I think I think if you go into Miami Vice expecting something with sort of the perfect script level construction of Heat or The Insider, which I think are right. both masterful screenplays and incredibly right. satisfying on that level, irrespective of all of his great filmmaking qualities, Miami Vice doesn't have that, but doesn't really aspire to that. I, yeah. I feel like Miami Vice is about doing with, with the filmmaking, the lifting that the script does in those movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really satisfying. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely a good point that, that like the, the filmmaking itself and the, the acting, the screenplay, the music, all that stuff is, is, is filling in the narrative pleasures that you might be looking for in something like a, a heat or an insider. Well, look, Thomas, this has been such a treat to talk to you. Um, you've you've definitely inspired a thought that I've just had, which is maybe I should get totally blackout drunk for every one of these podcasts and just see if there's a better podcaster inside me than there has been. Not for, for last... me. <laughs> Katie's like, please don't, please don't, please don't, Blake, please don't. Um, this is no, no, no. Of... I'm just saying I don't want to do that myself. You can do it. Oh. I want. I want to see the thousand yard stare. <laughs> thousand yard think... stare. Colin Farrell was doing hard drugs as well, so you should figure out what the what the proper cocktail is. Oh yeah, of course. I, I mean, speaking of alchemical mixtures, yeah, let's let's. I'll have to talk to my wife, sweetie. I promise it's for a podcast. I'm just on hard drugs. I'm going out with Maradona for a podcast. Okay. Another round two. Oh God! Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, Thank you so much for being a part of the show, man. It's great to talk to you. It's great to find another man head out there that can speak so insightfully on it. And I think so eloquently about all of those, you know, I don't know, sometimes they feel like unquantifiable stuff. But I think what's really fun for me is like hearing how people unpack it and rationalize it and approach it in completely different ways. And it's also like interesting to see how, um, uh, like your momentum as a man head has been late. Like, I love that too. When people like find it and they're into it, it's, it's, it's so awesome, but it's been such a pleasure to chat to you. So thank you so much for doing the show with us. Thanks so much. Both of you. This was great. Thanks Thomas. It was great talking to you and everybody listened to watching movies at the bar. Super fun. Drink a mojito. Maybe you should do Miami vice. We, we will do <laughs> Miami vice. I, it, there, there's so many thoughts. We'll do this again. You have to, you have to. Yes. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.